Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we wanna encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description of this video online at fellowshipgj.com or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring this message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. Well, Merry Christmas, not happy holidays, but Merry Christmas to you this morning. Wasn't the choir awesome? Let's give them another round. They're so good. Thank you guys so much for being with us. We're going to keep you guys in the Christmas spirit next weekend. So excited about our Christmas Eve services and what God is going to do. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but we graveled our north parking lot. So that will give us, we have big time parking issues now. Um, and so we have a new parking lot back there. Please take advantage of that uh, if, you, if you can. Now, it is gravel, I understand. We don't want you sinking out there and that kind of thing if you're in heels. So we don't want you to, or, or guys, maybe you don't want to mess your shoes up. We don't want you to do that. But uh, if you want to take advantage of that, especially on Christmas Eve, that might really, really help us out with uh, parking and then also for Sundays in the future. So we have that as an option for you. Well, we've been in this series. Did you guys enjoy the series? Any questions? Was that like good? I hope that helped you. And we're very excited. We got some stuff that we're going to do actually with that series uh, next year to give that to you as a resource. So we'll be talking to you about that later. But what we established, one of the things that we established within that series is there's all kinds of prophecy in the Bible that talks about the time that we're in right now. And it talks about the fact that things are going awry. I mean, it is a lot of strife. There's a lot of strife. There's a lot of wars. There's a lot of battles out there. There's a lot of spiritual warfare that is happening. And as a result, we need to be able to respond to that. How do we handle that strife? How do we handle the things that are going on in this world? How do we fight our battles? Now, I've asked you guys this question before. If you were a right fighter, a right fighter, a right fighter is somebody that can't stand injustice. If there's any kind of injustice that's going on, we want to get involved. We want to fix it. We want to make it better. And so we will find ourselves fighting battles, and sometimes fighting battles that aren't even our own. We'll enlist in other people's battles because we're such right fighters. And it tends to make us a, pe a people of strife if we're not careful. And if we stay in that world too long, it can change who we are. It can steal our hope. It can steal our passion. And it can make us kind of live a life of drama. Now, of course, we don't want to go into that world. And, and, and if we do, though, stay there long enough, it will kind of start changing who we are. And it will make the people that are around us, that love us, maybe not want to hang with us so much. So maybe there's a solution to this. Maybe there's a way that we can fight these battles differently. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 5, we're going to be doing a verse-by-verse study of this particular chapter this morning, which I'm super, super excited about. Now, Joshua chapter 5, to give you a little historical background on what's going on, the people have been wandering in the wilderness. The children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They have been delivered by God out of Egypt by Charlton Heston, and he brought them out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we have people that still laugh at that joke because there's a lot of younger generation. They're like, Who, who's that? Who's, who's Charlton Heston? I don't know how that ass. 
younger generation doesn't all talk like that, just, just, just a few. But, but Moses helps them get out of Egypt, or God does that through Moses, through all these different miracles. And it takes them 40 years to get from Egypt to Israel. Now, if you just were to walk from Egypt to Israel, it would not take 40 years. It took them 40 years because they had a lot of issues. They had a lot of Egypt still in them. And God described them as a stiff-necked people. And he was like, you know what? I don't know if I can work with these guys. I may, maybe they're too far gone. And ends up happening, what ends up happening is that generation has to all die off and a new generation has to come before God is ready to give them the promised land. And so they come to Israel, they come to this river called the Jordan River, and they have to get the country, the people, across this river to inherit the land flowing with milk and honey that he, that he had promised. And he stops, God stops the river's flow, and he dries it up so that they can all make it across the river. Now understand, this was during flood stage. If you've ever been to Israel, sometimes the Jordan looks like a ditch, okay? It's, and, and you can look at it and go, well, that's not that big a deal, it's just a ditch. It just probably just went out to the head gate and turned it off. No, 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 it was a flood stage. So it was miraculous what God had done. Because the, the river was flooding, he stops it, he dries it up. The entire uh, country or people of Israel move into the promised land. And Joshua is getting ready to face his first foe. And that's where we pick up with verse 1 of chapter 5. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. Canaanites. There's that word again. Right? A few weeks ago, we talked about who the Canaanites were, who their descendants were, and the descendants of the Canaanites are, the, are Hamas and many of the Palestinians. Now, the Canaanites were pagan, awful people. They were worshipers of Baal, or what many people call Baal, among other false gods. And they would worship Baal through practicing all kinds of sexual debauchery as well as sacrificing their own children. Okay, so these people were awful. They were evil. Now you might say, well, wait a second, Pastor Tim, you, you said a few weeks ago that Israel were the indigenous people of the land. Now you're saying that Israel had to come in and, and conquer the Canaanites. Well, we have to understand that 700 years before this, in Genesis chapter 12, 7, God gave Abraham the land. Abraham was living in the land. Abraham was established as the, the, the land owner of the land. And then there was a season where the children of Israel, uh, the people of Abram, went to Egypt to escape a drought, and they were coming back. That's why it was called the promised land. We're going back to the promised land. Verse 2, at that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. Welcome to Israel, guys. Step on up. <laughs> Joshua, Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in the battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, uh, but none of those born after Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. Skipping down now to verse 8. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Now understand this. They were being circumcised 
to reestablish the Abrahamic covenant that God had with his people. The, this covenant was what I mentioned that happened like 700 years earlier. And it was this promise that God was going to give them this land. And you might say, well, they really, like, why did they have to do the circumcision thing? Why, why, I mean, why did they have to do that? Well, understand this. God is super symbolic. And God wants to give us symbols. He, some, some things are ordinances so that we will remember. Baptism is an ordinance, ordinance so that we remember and understand that when we receive Jesus, it's a rebirth, a, a, a communion. What we did this morning, communion, that's an ordinance. So we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. So circumcision was the same thing. It was a physical representation with spiritual significance. Physically, it represented cutting away the flesh or sin in their lives, but also a spiritual covenant between the people and God. God was saying, I promised you something. I promised Abraham something. And I'm fulfilling that promise in you. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt, so that, uh, so that place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal has a meaning. It is a city that was built uh, about eight miles northeast of Jericho. It became Israel's temporary center of government and worship during the retaking of their land. Verse 10, while the Israelites were camped at Gilgal, on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Now remember what Passover is. Passover was the celebration of God delivering the people out of Egypt. They've been in slavery all those years. They're delivered. Passover was a celebration of that. They were remembering what God had done for them to get to this point and remembering how far God had brought them. Verse 11, the very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. Now, you might go, why did, why, why did they write about that? Like, who cares what they ate? I mean, I mean, why is that in the Bible? Well, Israel, at this point, at this point restarts the festival of unleavened bread, which was always seven days following the Passover. They weren't doing that for a long time. They weren't doing that for 40 years. Why? Well, verse 12 says, no manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. Now, remember, manna was this like bread-like stuff that would, that would appear miraculously each day while Israel was in the wilderness. So while they were traveling for 40 years, they didn't have to worry about food. They would get up, they would go out, they would collect this manna, and it gave them the nutrition that they needed for the day. But when they moved into the promised land, they didn't need manna anymore. God promised them, hey, this is a really cool place. This land that I promised you, you haven't seen it before, but it's, a, it's fertile. It's fertile ground. It, it, it's a land flowing with milk and honey is what it was described as. So when they moved into it, it wasn't needed, manna wasn't needed anymore. So it says, from that time on, Israel ate from the crops of Canaan, or the promised land. Now, God had promised them this land of milk and honey, and so it just manna wasn't necessary anymore. But, so you think, well, okay, okay, I kind of see that, how that's important. But what this is, what this establishes is that for 40 years, Israel had lived by sight. They lived by sight. There was a pillar of fire that would guard them during the day and a, and a cloud at night. 
There was manna that would miraculously appear. So God's God's people saw his miracles every day. This is the point where they had to start living by faith. This is the point where they had to start living like we live. By faith, not by sight. Verse 13, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Yeah, so did you see the graphic of, of uh, that? Isn't that cool? He just as a defender. And so this guy shows up and he's got this sword in his hand. And Joshua was like, hey, are you a friend or are you a foe? Because Joshua was now the commander. He was like the president of the people of Israel. Moses had died. He'd gone on to be with the Lord. Joshua was now the leader. So he sees this guy. He's like, who, who are you? Are you a friend or a foe? And he replies, this man, neither one. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Now, who was this commander of the Lord's army? Who showed up on the scene? Well, many scholars, most scholars believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. That Jesus shows up in the New Testament, shows up for Joshua, shows up before Joshua. And it couldn't have been an angel, because in every other scripture where people tried to worship angels, the angels would stop them. If you, if you remember all the different stories in scripture where an angel appears before somebody, because they're an angelic being and they're spiritual, many people thought they were God or a God. So they, they would get on their knees, they would start worshiping, and the angel would always stop them. He'd always say, no, 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 no. I, I, don't worship me, you worship God, don't worship me. But in this situation, this man did not stop Joshua from worshiping him. So we know that he had to have been Jesus. Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. You see, this is the same commander that we talked about just a few weeks ago that is going to be leading us, going to be leading us into battle at the end of the tribulation for the battle of Armageddon. This is the commander of the Lord's army that was there for Joshua, that was there for his people as they were going into the promised land. So the Bible says that Joshua worshiped. This is holy ground. It's so interesting that these are the same words that God used when Moses encountered him in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. So Joshua's ready to fight, right? He's ready to fight. He was probably, most scholars believe, he was probably in the Egyptian army when they were in slavery. So he's a warrior. And don't you know that he is so sick of wandering around in the desert for 40 years? Don't you know that he's like, come on, let's get it. Give me a sword. Give me a shield. I'm ready to fight. But God didn't want him to fight like an Egyptian. You remember remember that song if you're in the 80s? Walk like an Egyptian. Okay. Whatever. God did not want Joshua to fight like an Egyptian. God wanted to teach him a new way to fight in the Lord's army. Which is totally different. So how do we fight? How how do we fight in God's army? Because we want him on our side. Whenever you read in scripture, when God went with with the army of Israel into battle, they always won. 
And not only did they always win, but many times not one of their soldiers would die and they would obliterate the entire other army. You want him on your side. We want him on our side. So what do we do? What do we do in a situation where we're, we're facing a battle, something in our life, we're seeing some type of injustice, something that we know that God has called us to do, not something God has not called you to do. Because, guys, I'm telling you, we, we get caught up in a lot of drama that's not our drama. That's why the old saying, it says, choose your battles. We get to choose our battles. Don't fight everybody else's battle for them. Don't get offended for everybody else. You can pray for them, but don't enter battle for them. We have enough battles on our own, right? But if I enter a battle, I want to make sure God is on my side. So how can we make sure of that? Well, first of all, we got to do... What, what Joshua did and what Israel did. The first thing they did is they cut away sin and they committed to God. They cut away sin and they committed to God. That's the symbol of circumcision. And so what we need to do is we have to come before God and we just have to ask for forgiveness. God, okay, what, whatever I've done, I'm sorry. We need to do that every day. We need to do that multiple times a day. Okay, because we mess up multiple times a day. So we live in a state of forgiveness because we ask God for it. And, and we don't want to live in a world where we just, we just not ask him for forgiveness. I mean, David did that for a full year when he sinned with Bathsheba, and it made him miserable. It made him miserable. And so we just want to come clean before God. God, I'm sorry. I blew it. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. Forgive me. And then we recommit to him. And one of the ways we recommit to him is we ask God to cut the things out of our life that are destructive. God, you know, I, I have this issue, and I've been struggling with it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me get rid of this. Help me to make a plan to get rid of this. I want this to be cut out of my life. And then we rededicate and commit to him. That's exactly what happened between this commander of the Lord's army, Joshua, and his people. They rededicated their life. They reestablished a covenant that had happened 700 years earlier, and they said, we're going to follow you. Now, when you join a branch of the military, and many of you guys ser have served America faithfully with uh, your service to some sort of branch, but you'll remember the first thing that you did is you went into this room with all these other recruits, you raised your right hands, and you said an oath. And when you said that oath, it enlisted you into the armed forces of the United States. When we rededicate ourselves to the Lord, we are enlisting or re-enlisting into God's army. Like, I may have swayed for a little while. I may have went AWOL. God, sorry about that. I recommit to you. I come back underneath your cover. I come back into your army. And so that's the first thing we have to do. Make sure that we cut away sin, we commit to God. The second thing, what, and the second thing that, that Joshua did is we worshiped. We worship him. In the middle of the battle, no matter what's going on, we worship him. Now, write down this quote, okay? I love, I love this quote. Public victories are determined by private visit, visits with the Lord. Is that not true? Public victories are determined by private visits with the Lord. Worship changes everything. Worship changes everything. When you choose to engage in worship, it changes the spiritual atmosphere. 
Now, you might go, well, you know, I probably maybe have seen that before, but it doesn't always happen. You know, it doesn't always happen because sometimes we're not always engaged in worship. You can sit in worship. You can listen to worship. But are you engaged in worship? Are you showing God worth when you worship him? I mean, you've, I'm sure, experienced times right here in this worship center where when you worshiped God, you felt different. You felt different than when you walked in this building because that's what worship does. It gives us a new perspective on our situation. It eliminates fear and dread and it replaces it with hope and courage. It unleashes God's power into your situation. Okay? So this happened to me just a few weeks ago. I, I, I was facing something. I, I, it, it hit me. It was overwhelming. So it overwhelmed me, and then it, it made me depressed. It made me feel like there was no hope. It made me feel like I was just like, I don't even know why. I don't, don't want to get out of bed this morning. But I did, and I was thinking to myself, how do I get myself out of this funk? And what do we usually do in that situation? What I did in that situation was like, who can I call? I just need to talk to somebody. And so I was going to call Rebecca, I was going to call my wife, and I was just going to kind of lay this out to her, what's going on in me, and what's, what I'm facing, and what I'm going through. And God stopped me and said, don't call her. It's like, okay. He said, she can't fix you. Only I can fix you. When we're in the heat of battle, and we want to call somebody, we want to complain to somebody, we want to vent to somebody, that's our first reaction. But God is saying all of that usually doesn't make things better. It usually makes things worse. Because you just dumped your problems on somebody else. And you don't need them to be enlisted in your fight. You need God to be in your fight. You need to listen, enlist in his army. And so I was like, Lord, you're right. You're right. And I came to my office and I put on some worship music, and I just started worshiping God, and I just started saying, God, you got this. I know you have this. You know, forgive me for where I may have messed up, and I just, I give this all to you, and I worshiped him, and I, maybe, maybe for 15 minutes, and I completely changed. It changed my out, it changed, it changed my outlook, it changed my attitude, it changed how I was feeling. God will miraculously heal you and whatever you're going through if you'll just let him if you'll just enlist in the fight with him he'll change everything worship him and then thirdly live by faith and not by sight that's where we are right now we we're not like the people in the wilderness where we're seeing this daily visual manifestation of God, we have to see it by faith. We have to look and start, stop looking at everything from an earthly perspective and look at from, look, try to look at it from a heavenly one. You see, when we look at it from an earthly perspective, it, it limits our view, and, and we can't see the whole picture. He can see the whole picture. Not only can he see the old, whole picture, but he can see the future. God is doing warfare on our behalf when we enlist in the battle with him. God wants to fight for you. Yeah, us individually. He wants to fight for us. Now you might go, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I believe that. I, you know, I've read a few scriptures before, you know, about that. 
go ahead and put up the first slide. So here's, the, here's, here's like a couple of pages of scriptures where God says he wants to do warfare on our behalf. Exodus 14, 14 says, The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Remember, we're on the army, the side of the army of the Lord's commander, that when he takes out all of evil at the end of the tribulation, he does it with his breath. That guy. I want that guy on my side. Deuteronomy 24 says, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. It doesn't say he's going to go into war with you, he's going to go into battle with you, and he's going to give somebody else the victory. He's going to give you the victory. Deuteronomy 3.22 says, You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Isaiah 54.17 says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. The heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's for us. Psalm 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. When you have faced troubles, when was the last time you cried out? When was the last time you cried out? It's usually the last thing we do, right? Usually we internalize it. Usually we focus on it. Usually we get it in our head and we spin. So we call it spinning. And we just relive it and we replay it and we try to figure it out and we're trying to figure it out. And God is saying, cry out to me. Cry out to me. I'll fix this. I got this. So that's just a few verses. I'm going to have these slides roll. We have a hundred verses where God says, I will fight for you. And as these start rolling through, know that we're going to, after this service, we're going to have a slide that's slides that are just going to go through. And you can take pictures of these after the service. But they're just going to roll through as I start to talk. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he wants to fight for you. And this list isn't exhaustive, but he said, I want to fight for you so much that I'm going to write it in Scripture a hundred times so you know. A hundred times. You see, Joshua's first battle was super unconventional, if you'll remember. It was that famous battle of Jericho. And how did the people of Israel defeat Jericho? Well, God says, okay, what I want you to do is I, I just want you to go out every day, and I want you to march around the city once. And I want you to do that for six days, but on the seventh day, I want you to march around at seven. Seven times I want you to march around it. And the end of this, at the end of that seventh time, I want you to shout, and I'll give you the city. Just shout. And so they did what the Lord said, and when they shouted, the Bible says that the walls fell flat. And then Israel was able to defeat their foe. It was fought that way so that God could show them who gave them the land. He did. He was still with them, even though they couldn't see him anymore. He was still with them, even though they were having to live by faith and not by sight. It wasn't by anything that they did. It wasn't by anything that Joshua did. No one could receive the credit but God. God was showing his people 
if you partner with me, I'll flatten your enemies. You won't have to pick up a sword. You won't have to pick up a shield. All you have to do is shout and give it over to me, and I will fight for you. That's what he wants to do for us. Just got to fight the right way. So, wherever you're seated this morning, maybe you've never asked the commander of the Lord's army into your life. And maybe you're watching from somewhere this morning. And hey, all kinds of new people are watching online. Maybe you just don't know Jesus yet. So if you just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name. So you just got an introduction to the commander of the Lord's army. But maybe you've done that, but you just have never enlisted. You've never enlisted in the army. So, so, so what I want you to do is I just want you to bow your head wherever you are, and I just want you to ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for forgiveness, whatever it is. Whatever you did this morning, whatever you did last night, whatever you did last week, whatever he brings to mind. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for my shortcomings. Forgive me for saying things that are dumb, for thinking things that aren't right. Forgive me, Jesus. And now I commit to you. And what I'd like for you to do now, symbolically, is to stand. And as you stand, in Jesus' name, you are re-enlisting in the fight. You're re-enlisting in God's army. And so I just want you to take a moment. I just want you to say, Lord, I, I recommit to you. God, I love you. God, my allegiance is to you. God, my oath is to you. And when I face stuff in the future, God, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to shout for you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would loosen this room the ability for us to live by faith and not by sight. That we would remember you are still here, even though there are times when we don't, we don't feel like you are. That's just a, that's just a trick from the enemy. We, we know you are. So increase our faith, God, for you. Increase our faith for you. We, we, we love you, God. Do warfare on our behalf. Helps to remember how much you love us, how much you got us. Help us, Lord, to take, take pictures of these, of these slides, of these, of these verses that we're going to have up. Lord, that we would start reading these on a daily basis as a reminder of how much you want to do battle for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Don't miss Christmas Eve. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. 
If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text FELLOWSHIP to 94000 to connect with our staff. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting PRAYER SUPPORT to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.